What's up, everyone, and welcome to episode 145 of the Justin Insight podcast, a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music and find out what makes them tick. Uh, hope everyone is well. Hope everyone has had a delightful week. Um, as always, I seem to be starting off these conversations talking about last week's episode, but uh, just a massive thank you to all the feedback regarding the conversation with Seb from Meth uh, last week. It seems to get a lot of traction on that one, which was really cool. A lot of people were interested in what he had to say. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just really cool when people actually reach out and kind of say, yo, really enjoyed the show. Um, and even for the guests to sort of like sing high praise as well when, when they're sort of posting and resharing the links and stuff, which is always really, really humbling. So yeah, massive thank you to that. Um, in terms of the past week though been pretty quiet I've got to be totally honest I've been working hard on on episode uh, episode sorry issue two of of the magazine which uh, should be coming uh, hopefully sort of mid-march if it all goes to plan I know I said last time I wouldn't set dates but I've got another thing in the pipeline already for the magazine so I want to try and get this episode uh, keep saying episode issue out and then go on to the next one so why is Siri freaking out right now that's weird um sorry about that all things going on in my little HQ right now but anyway um so yeah pretty pretty quiet week for for myself um but on the flip side working towards uh well be tomorrow by the time this this comes out um heading off to mainland Europe once again, joining up with my good friends in Ithaca, who are currently out on tour with uh, Big Thief. They've been doing the, the UK leg, which uh, has been looked incredible. Like, it's a really like, weird sort of mix for, for Ithaca to be on, because if you're unaware of Big Thief, they're quite a sort of indie folk band. Obviously, Ithaca are an insanely good metalcore band, so it's odd to have them two touring together and I think a lot of uh, Big Thief fans are kind of coming round to, to Ithaca and are enjoying their set so and it's been really cool to see that response online so I'm even more looking forward to seeing what it's like out of the shows in mainland Europe um, if you are at any of the dates I will be there taking photos doing merch my usual driving bit so come say hi if you are in one of the cities we're hitting in mainland europe which off the top of my head i instantly can't remember all of them i know we're hitting uh cologne hamburg and berlin in germany um and then there's various other dates but go check out ithaca and big thieves socials it's all on there um but yeah as i said like last time in like when i went off on tour there will be a bit of a gap but I do have another episode in the can, so I'm hoping I can get some Wi-Fi and upload that for you for next week, and then there'll be a week gap before I come back from the tour. Um, so yeah, that's everything that's been going on over here. Uh, yeah, it's been been pretty busy, into, even though I haven't really done a whole lot. I've just been sort of grafting away and sort of trying to make ends meet and get on with life i guess but yeah that's enough about me i'm gonna stop rambling on because i always do in these random little intros um and let's get on to this week's guest and i'm super stoked to to have this guy as a guest um as we get into in the chat i've been a big fan of the black Dahlia murder for a while now 
I remember sort of watching their their tour DVD that we could talk talk about during the chat. Sorry, I should probably introduce who this week's guest is. Um, I'm speaking to Black Dahlia uh, murder vocalist Trevor Sternad. Um, but yeah, it's like I've been into that band since the Miasma album, and they've just been unbelievably prolific and consistent throughout their incredible career which we we go into um we also just talk about trevor sort of like discovering like death metal like the the conventional senses of it um how sort of dungeons and dragons and kind of linking that into metal kind of helped him sort of on his musical journey um the drive for him to sort of want to go out on tour as much as possible and how that's kind of bled into what black dahlia now do um and yeah, just kind of like the whole journey of the band leading up to to where they are now, and obviously the new record which is coming out uh, in a month's time now, which is super super exciting. And it, honestly, I've had the chance to listen to it, and it's, I mean, they they haven't released a bad record, but it's fucking rad. So yeah, please sit back, enjoy the chat I have with Trevor, and I'll see you on the other side. This week on the Justin Insight podcast is vocalist of death metal, well, melodic death metal, juggernauts, the Black Dali murder, Trevor Stranard. Trevor, thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to have a little chat with me. How's everything in your world? How is everything in camp Black Dali murder? Uh, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it a lot. Everything is awesome right now. We have the uh, new record coming down the pipes finally, so it's uh, pretty exciting right now. Well, it's... We'll get onto the, the new record in, in more detail later on, but it kind of feels like I don't know, like with you guys, you're from an outsider. It just feels like you're always consistently putting an output. So, is it is it a relief to have this record done? Is it or is it just kind of like the next step in the in the chapter sort of thing? Um, it's it's both. You know, uh, the record's actually been done for quite a while, and we've just been sitting on it. Right. So I've had a lot of time to like think about it a little bit too much. Time, so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely ready to get it out of there. But um, I you know I still get excited to make music. You know, it's still um super fun to work with the guys. They just keep getting better and better, and I'm I'm, I'm trying hard to keep up. <laughs> well, as I mentioned before, like we kind of hit the record button. The show is called Justin Insight. I always like to take my guests back to their their roots and their origins, so to say. So what kind of got you into alternative music, Trevor? What was your kind of first exposure of it? Uh, I guess I could trace it back to um, Nirvana. Nevermind. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of people my age that uh, ended up in heavy music kind of like went down the same road. And uh, it was just so different than everything that was out at the time. It was so like raw and unpolished and... Uh, it just had a rebellious kind of air to it, you know what I mean? Yeah. So even even as a kid, I was like, wow, this is really cool. And um, shortly after that, uh, the Black Album came out and um, Countdown to Extinction, and those were my real gateways into metal, right? especially, uh, especially Countdown to Extinction. I remember I saw the... Uh, I came home from my first day of sixth grade, and I hated it, and it was awful. <laughs> and, but then I saw the... Um, Symphony of Destruction video, like, as soon as I got home, and that just, like, blew my mind, and I remember thinking right then, just, this is it, this is what I like, like, finally, yeah, yeah. I figured it out, 
I figured out my place in the universe, you know? It, it all kind of came crashing at that moment. So was it was it just kind of like a, a serendipitous thing that, that you happened to hear it at that time, or did, did someone kind of put you onto it? How did it kind of get, get into your ears, so to say? Well, I mean, I heard uh, the Black album prior to that, and I thought it was really cool, and I thought, you know, metal was pretty awesome, and I wanted to check out more. But then, um, yeah, it was just uh, just happenstance that it was on that day. Yeah. And uh, yeah, man, it was uh, yeah, it just it just blew blew my the world open for me. And then I spent the next few years like wearing a Megadeth shirt every single day and like drawing, <laughs> yeah. drawing pictures of Dave Mustaine's face like painstakingly and shit like that, like real nerd status stuff. But on the kind of like a, a different note, obviously about Dave Mustaine being a fan you must have been relieved to hear that he's now completely cancer free at the moment uh yeah i was actually checking out the footage from the comeback shows and he sounds as good as ever so i'm really happy for him yeah it's really like i'm not the biggest megadeth fan but i think just in terms of like the metal community he's such a pillar and it's it's awesome to to see that he's he's fit and healthy at the moment so yeah it was really cool to see that um but yeah back on on to yourself so kind of going from there like how did you sort of like wean through sort of the the more kind of like commercial stuff to into the the sort of world that Black Dahlia sits? Like where where did you kind of like what bands were you sort of discovering and kind of going through that path? Uh well yeah, let's start it out with Megadeth and Metallica really big and Pantera and um basically the big four yeah plus sepultura at the time had just dropped uh chaos ad and uh that was a huge album for me too as a kid so i was getting you know that was pretty heavy that was probably the heaviest thing at the time was like pantera and uh sepultura for me yeah and uh i remember the very first time i heard campbell corpse i hated it (laughs) yeah (laughs) uh we had this like thing at school where if you finished lunch early you could go down to this room and all these kids would be hanging out, and you could bring a CD and uh, give it to the DJ dude, and he would like play whatever song you wanted. And the metal kids used to kind of like take it over in there. And I remember um, hearing Cannibal Corpse for the first time and being like, "Nope, don't like this, <laughs> yeah. not at all." <laughs> but um, eventually, I just fall head over heels for them. Like, uh, really, my my first death metal record was uh, Suffocation, Piercing Within. Right. And I remember, like, really being drawn in by the artwork. And uh, I, I remember I found it in a Hit Parader magazine, which was, like, very much uncool at the time. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? But I, I was lucky to see something good in there. And I remember the article was talking about how, well, death metal is basically over now. You know, this was, like, 95. And there's, like, there's only a couple good bands doing stuff. And they listed, like... Uh, Fear Factory and Death and a few others and those would be like what I would go by next pretty much but um, yeah Pearson Within definitely scared the shit out of me and that was kind of I was still wrestling with um, religion and whether I was going to be going to hell for all this uh, (laughs) satanic stuff and like that was one of those like well I really like this I think I'm just going to really believe there's no God and I'm going hard in this direction you know (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I remember thinking that Pearson Within, like, I was, that I would never understand it. It seemed so twisted, and the music, um, just, 
I mean, it's different than a lot. It's a lot less straightforward than than some of the bands that I could have started with. You yeah. Know what I mean? It seemed like a, a mind-bending labyrinth, you know, and I was like, I wonder if I'll ever understand this. Yeah. You know? And uh, it's still my favorite death metal record and, and uh, you know, definitely an awesome place to start. But uh, then Cannibal Corpse came next into my life and uh, in a major, major way, and I really loved the gore aspect of it. And I remember, like, when I got Butchered at Birth, and I could barely, like, read through the lyrics without, you know, just, like, getting sick. I was, was, <laughs> yeah. And there was, I don't know what was so attractive about that. Like, it was like a, a, a horror movie or, like, a, it was like a car crash I couldn't turn away from. Yeah, you know yeah. I, mean? like, I kept coming back and, like, trying to stomach it and just, I was, I remember thinking, like, how, how can they do this? You know, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it just had a real serious contraband aspect to it and now you know i think that the internet has kind of spoiled that i don't think people are going to have that moment with death metal anymore you know i think that the world is way more extreme than it was then you know what i mean so like just um yeah i remember seeing um death metal record covers in the uh the store and just being like wow this must be cool and uh i think uh D kind of helped me down the path of metal you know i was playing role-playing games and there was a lot of like parallels between the imagery you know what i mean so once i figured out that there was music about skeletons and shit and dragons i was like all right this is cool <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well like obviously you mentioned kind of like with the cannibal corpse like the the kind of gore aspect of, of things and something else that people know about you is, is your love for kind of horror films and things so was that something that kind of came a bit later or did the two kind of go hand in hand that you were discovering at the same time? Uh, I would say that the horror movies actually preceded um, metal for me. Right. Uh, that was more like in tandem with role playing. And as a kid, um, man, when I was really small, I was deathly afraid of blood. In right. Movie. I was thrown out of the room screaming and shit. <laughs> yeah. I definitely uh, did a 180 on that because, you know, uh, Around first grade, even, I was watching all these horror movies at my friend's house, and it would be like the first Friday the 13th, the first Halloween, first Nightmare on Elm Street, Creep Show, um, and a few others, and we would just like watch them over and over. And I remember I would get in trouble at school for drawing like Jason cutting people's heads off with with crayons, you know, like it was that. <laughs> it started that early. So I don't know. I've always had a fascination with the macabre. You know, so it was just so, so natural that metal came into my life and, you know, just affected me the way that it did. Yeah. And then, so in terms of your kind of own sort of like musical exploration, obviously the majority of people will know you being the vocalist of the Black Darling Murder, but did you kind of dabble in in sort of any other instruments or has it always kind of been vocals that you've kind of been drawn to? Um, It was actually guitar at first and uh, that was definitely... um, Dave Mustaine and, you know, wanting to, to, but I also wasn't really committed to the amount of work it takes to become a <laughs> yeah. player, so there was a definite disconnect there, and, uh, you know, I played in some really, I also, like, came up on punk in the same, same kind of same time frame, you know, I remember, like, uh, uh, my friend Ryan, he had an older sister, Rachel, and she just 
was like our lifeline to all this great music, you know, because she liked metal and punk. Right. And so we were like, oh, cute, my, my little brother and his friends are weirdos, you know, let me help them out. And uh, so it was like the same time I was getting into Sex Pistols and, and the Ramones and the Misfits and Minor Threat and all that stuff. So, you know, I've always been like kind of straddling the line. I always have been a punk fan and a hardcore fan and alongside of, of uh, metal, you know, just like aggressive music. Yeah. Sure. So in terms of kind of like, as you say, sort of like dabbling with the guitar and things. So when did you kind of, I guess, first sort of like have, have a go at doing sort of vocals and realize that that was something that you could do and sort of a way that you could play around with your voice? and sing in a, in a band as a kid and then we got a second guitar player and then we were playing this house show and I broke a string and didn't have any like backups because we were just totally unprofessional <laughs> yeah. and uh, so I just put the guitar down and sang and I was like wow that was really cool that was fun so we just you know we just kind of switched to that and um, then I, I play guitar in like a, a metalcore kind of band after that um and um, I ended up like writing the, the lyrics and patterning the vocals for the for the vocalists like all throughout the band. Right. So, so you know, I had a plenty of experience like when it came down to trying out for Black Dahlia Murder in writing and stuff, but I just didn't really have that great of a metal voice yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, but I already had the experience of how to like write lyrics and how to pattern you know them and, and stuff like that. So. Uh, it was really just like uh, I knew Brian. He's the other original member of the band. You know, he's still there. Uh, I met him at some shows, and uh, he was from a couple towns over. And we were talking on the internet, and he's like, "Hey, man, uh, do you know anybody that could sing for this band I'm putting together?" You know, and uh, I heard it, and I thought, "Wow, damn, these guys are good." And yeah. They were younger, younger than me by a few years. And I remember that was like the final straw of me playing guitar. I was like, I'm not, it's like, these kids are killing me on guitar. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I'll just try to sing, you know what I mean? Because it just sounded like they had a lot of promise, you know what I mean? And uh, um, it was exciting for sure. Mm. And because obviously now, obviously, Black Dahlia Murder has been sort of 20 years of your life sort of thing. But did any of the other bands that you kind of played in, did they do anything of note or were they just kind of like, little local bands that, that played like small like community halls and, and things like that yeah it was like battle of the bands and you know what I mean we didn't really um, you know we didn't do anything or I wouldn't call anything that we did like remotely professional at <laughs> yeah. the output you know so um, it was actually like a major major jump in quality for me to like start working with Black Dahlia Murder even in the early days like in the infancy of the band you know it was just like light years beyond anything I had been been like associated with and um but um I had a real drive to get out on tour yeah and uh, that, that kind of sparked from Henry Rollins and his book about Black Flag uh, Get in the Van yeah and I used to just like listen to that audiobook over and over and like you know I had the picture book too and and uh, I don't know like I just really um, like we were terrible my bands were terrible as a kid <laughs> but we worked but we worked really hard and we really cared a lot you know like we did all the DIY aspects of things correctly you know we made our own recordings and flyers and 
you know, just taking a little piece of that Black Flag thing, and somehow that book about how much tour sucked just made me want to do it so yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I think that one of the things that made me attractive to Black Dahlia Murder versus some of the other guys that were trying out was that I was like, listen, man, we're going to make a record, we're going to get on a label, we're going to go on tour, and it's going to be awesome, you know what I mean? Like, I just had that, like, that drive right out of the box, you know? So, eventually, that's what we would do, you know? We, we made a ton of demos and and uh, sent them out, and, you know, we did it. We worked really hard to, like, get known out of nowhere, yeah. pretty much. I think that just that kind of will to do that was one of the things that got me in the band, you know? Yeah. And because obviously you guys are, are sort of based in, in Michigan, so is it is that kind of where you grew up as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's just a suburban Michigan. Uh, the scene there was small, but it was kind of a melting pot. Like there would be hardcore bands and death metal bands and just anything in between, pretty much. Like yeah. Shows together because there wasn't like a big enough death metal scene to like have its own legs, you know. Right. And uh, so it was just like uh, it was a really fun time. There were a lot of great, great local bands, a lot of great shows coming through. Um, we used to play this place, Mr. Muggs. <laughs> we played, we played there so much that I remember we would leave our equipment there Friday night and come back and play another show Saturday. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> whoever else was coming through town, and and um, you know we weren't very good. Uh, we weren't very well liked. Uh, either you know we were definitely nerds of the scene you know we weren't the cool kids yeah and um, but uh, you know we had dreamt you know we really wanted to get out and do something so um, we just like worked on a musicianship and, and I, I think we got a got a lot better in a, in a short amount of time and um, you know just started to think about like getting out of town somehow you know yeah. And obviously, like nowadays, like there's a very distinct sound to to what the Black Dahlia Murder is in terms of kind of like the musicianship, your vocals, and things like that. But in those kind of early days, was there kind of a blueprint of what you guys wanted to sound like, or was it just a case of a load of ideas put into a boiling pot and this is what happened in the demos and it's grown from there, sort of thing? Uh, well, you know, I'd, I'd say that we slightly changed formats. You know, like, I think the first demo is definitely metalcore in the old uh, 2000s or late 90s sense. Yeah. Where uh, it's, uh, you know, it has a Swedish death metal kind of riffs in it, but we had some breakdowns and we had, like, we were very influenced by uh, Undying and uh, the pre-Between the Beard and Me band, Prayer for Cleansing. Yeah. Uh, we worshipped them. And, um... Just shortly after that, like, we decided, uh, you know, let's lose the breakdowns and just kind of get more metal, you know what I mean? Like, uh, then we got a guitar player that could solo a little bit, and uh, that was a big change, too. That guy came in right before Unhallowed. Yeah. You know, so, so yeah, we were, like, consciously trying to, like, be more metal, and, you know, we are listening to tons of extreme metal, and it was definitely a melting pot of everything we liked, you know? And uh, at the time, uh, you know, we were way into soil work and Darkane and uh, In Flames. And a lot of those bands were, like, doing a kind of a U-turn where they were just, like, getting all new metal and stuff and putting all this clean singing in. 
and we were like, man, fuck that. You know? <laughs> yeah. We're going to do the same thing as them, but we're going to do it harder with a bunch of blast beats, and, and you know, uh, that was kind of like the impetus right then. You know? yeah. it, it, it seemed like that there was a hole for that sound, I guess, you know what I mean, in, in the scene. And, um, yeah, just at the time, a lot of our heroes were kind of, like, bailing on their original blueprints, and, you know, we were kind of bummed out by that. But uh, yeah. it's kind of like our response, you know what I mean? Um, and um, it was just such an exciting time. Um, you know, we, we were, uh, it was like the beginning of finding music on the Internet, you know, and uh, just like that just blew our world open to be able to find bands from all over the world and, you know, I remember, like, hearing the Necrophagist CD, like, before it took off, before they got signed to Relapse and everything, and just being blown away by that, for example. And, yeah, it was just really exciting. It was really honest and exciting, and we were just a bunch of nerds getting together, and, you know, we really loved what we did, and we had a lot of fun. Yeah. Know? And in terms of kind of your sort of, like, as I've mentioned, like, your vocals like nowadays are so recognisable sort of thing that, like, as soon as you whack on a Black Dahlia murder track, like, you know it's you because of your voice sort of thing. But, like, when you were kind of starting out, like, how did you kind of... I, I don't want to say, like, hone your style sort of thing, but, like, did again, did you kind of have, like, a pre-conceived like conceived idea of what you wanted to sound like personally, and did you have to kind of grow into it? Like, how did that all work? Uh, yeah, it definitely took a long time to... Uh you know to, to develop the style but it definitely started with a want to do two voices you know? right and uh that was uh stemming from carcass and i i really loved the parts where the low vocal and the high vocal would be layered like on necroticism and um just had like the grossest sound and just thought it was really uh intense so we did we, we did a bit of that on the on the demo you know some of that layering stuff and um but yeah, it's a very early demo. There's not really a whole lot of difference between the, the high vocal and the low vocal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it took a really long time to kind of, I don't want to say master it, but, you know, to, to like become adept at it. Or yeah, whatever. yeah. Well, because I was just, and, uh, oh, sorry, sorry, I was just going to say, because I remember like the first time I heard you guys, I, I genuinely thought there was two vocalists, and then somebody was like, no, it's the one dude. I was like, oh, shit, sort of thing. So. Yeah, a lot of people thought that too, and I think a lot of it was like the way it was tracked. You know, they'd be kind of like overlapping each other at times, and um, you know, I try to, to try to keep it a little bit more closer to like what it will be like live now yeah. in this, you know, compared to the early days. But um, yeah, I really haven't. Um, I don't know. Like, I really haven't made any kind of plan for my voice, and I know that it's uh, it's kind of divisive. You know what I mean? I think that it's... I know that it's unique. Yeah. Uh, I think for some people it's a, it's a make or break thing, you know? And, um, yeah, I don't know. I just do what I do now. I don't <laughs> yeah. really... I don't, you know, I don't aspire to be the greatest vocalist in the world or anything. I just do what I do. I'm enthusiastic about the band, you know? Um, I love to write for the band. Uh, that's definitely still fun for me to... to uh, use my uh, ghoulish mind to think of some some you know classically evil stuff yeah i, I try i try to uh deliver for the fans that like take the time to read the lyrics and stuff yeah and 
so for me personally, like my first exposure of, of you guys was through Miasma, and I think that was kind of a jumping in point for a lot of people, kind of like my age anyway. Um, so, like, I don't know, like, from an, again, from an outsider perspective, like, that kind of seemed like your kind of blowing up point. So was that the, the case for you, that, like, that was the album that kind of got you noticed, or was there another point where you kind of felt like, Oh, people are starting to actually take notice of, of this band now. Uh, well, you know, I felt like, uh, yeah, Miasma was the first point where, you know, we were on Ozfest, and that was like something I had never imagined for us. Yeah. I imagined a way more underground kind of trajectory that was more typical of death metal, you know. But when Metal Blade was like, hey, man, we want to put you on Ozfest, sync it right up with your new record coming out. And uh, that just blew the doors open for us, you know. We started to get press and be mentioned in magazines alongside SLA Dying and other big bands of the time, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, I also think that that was, uh, in a way, instrumental for us being called metalcore and then deathcore and then, like, all these different genres, you know, because we were just kind of, like, in the magazines next to those bands and we had short hair and I think it was kind of... A confusing message, you know <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, but then I think with Nocturnal was the third record. That was another really big jump. Uh, you know, we found ourselves headlining Summer Slaughter over uh, Cataclysm, Cryptopsy, Whitechapel, Despised Icon, Aborted, Psychropic, and just this entire crop of bands that we worshipped. You know yeah. what I mean? So all of a sudden, we were in a bus and headlining this big national tour. And um, it was the most exciting point, probably, of this whole thing, you know what I mean? I just couldn't believe it. And um, you can see that if you watch Majesty, the DVD that we put out back in the day. Like, yeah. We're just young and having a blast, and, you know, just trying to soak it all in. Well, but, uh, yeah, those, those two, you know, it's, I feel like it's been like a snowball, really, ever since. But those were the two big kind of jumping off points, those yeah. two records. Well, you mentioned the DVD. I was going to actually bring that up because like, that was the thing for me is that you were this band that played this absolutely shredding, ripping, evil music, but then you were just a group of dudes that were pissing about and having a laugh sort of thing. And like, it was kind of a weird juxtaposition, but I was like so into it. Like, So do you think that that, again, kind of like opened the door for you a bit more, that people realised like, oh no you're just normal guys like you're not this like tough exterior metal core bands that like will do posed like mosh parts and things like that do you like because you did the dvd and it showed a more human side to to the band do you think that that kind of helped you a bit more oh for sure you know i feel like we're still like running away from it <laughs> because people, people have watched it so many times they kind of have a real attachment to that particular lineup and era of the band yeah you know what i mean and i'm like and they're like you know i miss this guy you know like well you probably because you just watch the dvd a lot you know what i'm saying <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it, it's weird because it, it definitely brought tons of people in and you know we didn't know it was going to come out as good as it did you know yeah uh, it, it was really it really came together really nicely and and it made us look very professional at the time, you know, so that kind of helped, it, it, you know what I mean? It's like, uh, think it and then be it, man. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and 
think that just, um, you know, at first when we came out, we wanted to be just a death metal band and considered that and no, no bones about it, you know, and the way that we looked and the way that we kind of carried ourselves just, you know, derailed that, I think, automatically, you know, but uh, it put us in a, in a place, a unique place where um, I think we had fans from all different kinds of genres, you know what I mean? And still to this day, wherever we go, there's a, a three-page genre fight that follows on the internet, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. so, so in the, in the day, I used to get a little butthurt about it because I just wanted to be seen as death metal because that's what I thought we were. But I think it's just us being this oddball band, you know, fronted by a, a weird serial killer-looking kid with glasses, you know. It just made us stick out in a different way. And and, and I think being that kind of down-to-earth, approachable band was a, a fresh a breath of fresh air from, like, everything at the time, you know. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't, like, planned, you know. It's just, like, we're just being ourselves. And I remember at first, we didn't even want to have pictures of the band, Oh, really? We didn't, yeah, we didn't want anyone to know. We wanted the, the music to do the talking and kind of fool people, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, if they find out we're just, you know, weird little metal fans, like, you know, maybe they won't like it, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so really, like, starting to make the videos and stuff was, like, something we didn't want to do at all. But, uh, you know, we realized that Metal Blade was right, that there was going to be good exposure, and, you know, there was... Um, um, Headbangers Ball was, you know, the reboot was happening at the time, and uh, we got some good traction from that. Mm. And uh, but you know, like we went into the videos thinking, all right, you know, let's make something really cool, and we had a very very limited budget. The first handful of videos were just terrible. Yeah. And then we realized, all right, why don't we just take the budget from this video and just go get trashed? <laughs> yeah. And we'll film that, you know, and that that was the miasma video, and that just kind of like. You know, it started this. It started this wildfire for us. It definitely was showing the uh, the party side of the band, and we still kind of have that reputation to this day. Yeah. And uh, it just made us stand out. You know what I mean? And I think a lot of people just thought, "Fuck, man! If these nerds can play this music, why can't I?" You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I think it made a lot of people think that, and made a lot of people pick up their instruments. You know? Yeah. And. I'll, I'll touch upon this now just because you've mentioned it but like obviously as uh, as we've said like Blood Daily Matter has been a band for 20 years now and it's kind of almost come full circle in that there are bands now that you can clearly hear a Black Daily Murder influence in their music sort of thing so is that a kind of a strange experience for you that like as you say this band that you're kind of like you and your nerdy mates have made has somehow lasted two decades and is now inspiring an, a new generation. It's crazy, man. It's, it feels amazing to have survived a generation, you know what I mean? Yeah. And to look in the crowd and see, like, just young kids, you know, that are half my age and that may look at me like an old wizard, you know what I mean? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's super flattering that there are bands influenced by us and... Um, you know, it's, it's an honor for sure, and uh, it's just, you know, we, we, we were thinking long-term from the beginning, and we were thinking globally from the beginning, you know, we wanted to be able to survive the coming and going of trends in heavy music, and have that longevity that Cannibal Corpse has, or Napalm Death, 
you know. And uh, a Cannibal Corpse, I think, has really been the greatest like influence on us in that in that way. You know, we wanted to be a band that was dependable, where you could just hear the first note and know it was us. Yeah. But you'd also be excited for new music because you'd know that we were gonna like put out a good record, you know, and not not like jump the shark and like start singing or having a DJ or you know something like that, but just like staying the course, you know. Yeah. And the other thing, obviously, that has kind of changed throughout the years is there's been sort of various members sort of come and go sort of thing. But as you said, yourself and Brian have kind of been the the, um, the ever-presence throughout sort of thing. So I'm going to take this in, in two tacks. Like, one, has it been kind of strange to sort of see the evolution of the band and kind of with the, the changing of, of the guard, so to say... Has that kind of given the band a new lease of life in some aspects? Um, yeah, I, I see it as like as a really slow evolution, right? Because yeah, I like, lived through all of it. <laughs> yeah, and we do so much in a short time. You know, we're firing out those records every two years. We're touring our asses off all the time. So, you know, um, I, I see it as an evolution for the better. You know, I feel like that we. We uh, upgraded when we got Ryan in the band, and yeah. his era of the band was really great, you know, and when he stepped down, it was really, you know, it was sad, but we ended everything on a really uh, copacetic friendship level, you know, and he helped pick out Brandon, and Brandon has been, like, just a real shot of, like, excitement into our arm as a collective, you know. Uh, he's really young, he's a guitar prodigy, and he's a hell of a songwriter, and he's an animal on stage so like it feels it's good to have that new blood in that's like just exciting you know what I mean he's yeah. excited to be here he's just like getting better and better and just uh, you know I feel like the, like um, Nightbringers was was an awesome record for having him aboard and this new one I think he's even taking more control you know what I mean so this is like even more him spreading his wings in the band and uh yeah, I just, I just see the whole thing as an evolution, you know? Like, yeah. Uh, but we've always tried to be a friendship first thing, you know? Because we know we're going to be in tight quarters with these people for a long time, whether it's a van or, you know, or flying around in South America every every day. Or, you know, like, it's important to be friends with the people you're with. You know, trust is important, friendship is important, and laughter, I think, has been really the best medicine that... Because touring is not glamorous at all. (laughs) A lot of it it downright sucks. So you need to have positive people with you that, you know, like uh, some people we had in the early days were just weren't like that. They were like, if if someone handed them a sandwich, they would be like, man, it'd be way cooler if this had mustard on it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, like that guy, the the eternal half-class empty guy. (laughs) So so really... uh, we vet people on not just how they play, but like how they're going to be in the band. And we try to have people that are going to have our sense of humor and kind of embody this ongoing, like character that the band has as a whole. You yeah. Know? So, um, yeah, I'm like just super thankful for the lineup that we have. I feel like this one's really going to stick and, um, that we're making great music and it's just super easy to get along with the guys and, you know, 
know, just over the years, we learned a bit better about, about what what we need from someone. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and so then, it wasn't as traumatic changing members as it, as it was in the early days. Yeah. Know? And then in terms of kind of, like, um, like, as you said, sort of like, relentlessly kind of putting out material and things like that like i don't know like just from my kind of ex well my very minimal experience of kind of being in bands and the, and things like that like guitarists and stuff always seem to come up with riffs or ideas for riffs quite frequently but vocalists i don't know that it seems that they have to take time away to sort of obviously sit with lyrics and kind of come up with ideas and and so on and so forth but with you guys it's been sort of constant since year dot sort of thing so i don't know do you kind of put pressure on yourself to kind of have a, a, a sort of a set of lyrics ready to go like how how does your kind of process work to kind of keep up with the the amount of output that you are putting oh uh, well you know it's it's really just that we're operating at this accelerated pace all the time yeah so the amount of time between two records we've done a million shows yeah yeah you know what I mean so it feels like a lot of time has passed and that we've done a lot of things and there's enough time to evolve where I hear I hear the growth every time we come back to write with the guys the guys just get better and better at songwriting and spread their wings even further you know so I mean it is challenging sometimes uh, to get inspired you know, doing this for, for nine albums now. Yeah. You know what I mean? So sometimes it can take me a minute to kind of rip the Band-Aid off and get the album going, you know? So, uh, but uh, yeah, pretty much after that, you know, it starts to flow pretty naturally. Yeah. But um, it's, it's uh, it, it can be intimidating. There's a lot of pressure heaped on us, I feel like. You know, a lot of it is, is positive, though. You know, I feel like kids are waiting with bated breath to see what our next move will be. Yeah. You know what I mean? But then there's the idea, too, that, like, this is our entire livelihood, and that can be a lot of pressure, too. You know what I mean? Just, uh, you know, we want to keep going at this rate. We want to be a, a big band, and we want to be available to go all over the world at any time, and we don't want, you know what I mean? So it's just like, yeah, it's a lot of pressure all around, I'd say. Yeah. And... If we quickly touch upon, obviously, the, the new record, as you say, kind of maybe the idea of sort of struggling to come up with stuff but ripping, then ripping the Band-Aid off, like, did you kind of have any ideas of, like, what you wanted the the lyrics to be about on this record going into it, or was it a case of when it came time to record that you were sort of going through ideas and things kind of came together a bit more naturally? Uh, yeah, I pretty much just leave it up to just like being natural and just kind of like on a song by song basis you know mm. I think it was a few songs in to where I started to think about verminess and having the uh, a kind of arcing theme you know but it, it, it's not a concept record per se but you know the, the theme is kind of visited on a couple songs where it like ties in the cover art and right. uh, verminess like it's kind of the idea that that we in the metal scene we are the pariahs of society in a way. We're, we're like the rats and roaches and the creatures that people don't want to see, that people don't want to pretend are <laughs> yeah. in there. People don't want to be in their perfect world, you know what I mean? And uh, and the strength of those creatures is in numbers, yeah. you know? And then in terms of kind of 
the something that I read about the, the new record is you've kind of said that there's a sort of little Easter eggs and kind of nods to sort of older material. So can you kind of elaborate on that a bit more? Like, how, how do you mean? Is it in terms of kind of the musical stylings, the way that you're kind of putting your vocals across? How, how do you kind of mean? Um, there's, uh, there's always been lyrical Easter eggs where I will like kind of write a lyric from a classic metal song or I will have references to our songs right. from the past. Or, but uh, with this one, uh, it was more meaning like there's stuff that happens in each song that only happens once. That's you know, like some kind of like the amount of detail that's crammed into these songs is like the most yet by far. And I think that um, it's, it's a record that will reward multiple listens for sure. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of textured parts. There's a lot of... Um, dynamics there's a lot um a lot more parts that i think are like evocative like emotional kind of that would like elicit a emotion an emotional response you know what i mean yeah which is like a what you what you want you want to have a song that can take somebody's breath away or that can you know really resonate with them and really like tug at the heartstrings when the time is right mm. you know even even though it's a metal band even though we're like a generally fast band we want to be dynamic. We want to be memorable. We want to be uh, have a varied record, you know. And I think that Verminous is definitely the most varied album that we've ever made. Which is like, uh, if we had one plan, if we don't really plan what we're gonna do with the albums, you know what I mean? We just kind of let the songs flow naturally. But if we had one unwritten plan over the last few years, I would say it would be to be more various to be have a more like a to have a real mix of styles and and song approaches and you know just trying to make the records more interesting as a whole and make them feel more like a uh, an experience you know like a roller coaster ride of emotions and feels you know? yeah and i guess that kind of on a point is that because of with you guys this is now being record number nine sort of thing and you have had a sort of a constant sort of output, as I said, sort of since the, the beginning kind of thing. And I don't mean this in a, a disparaging way, but it could be that like some albums kind of get lost in the shuffle sort of thing, because as I say, you, you're so consistent. So, so things. So is that kind of where you're kind of coming at the, with this album is, as you say, kind of it being a more of a, an amalgamation of different styles rather than just purely another Black Dahlia murder album, if that makes sense. Uh, yeah, I feel like we're always, you know, there's a hunger to to make the music more creative as the years go on, mm. and you know, we we try to keep things within the Black Dahlia parameters so that people can recognize us. But there's a selfish part of us too that wants to play more technical chops, yeah, and have like employ better songwriting tactics. And you know, I feel like we've known the formula to write a Black Dahlia song for a long time, but just realizing that like minutia and the very 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 fine details can make such a huge difference you know what i mean so mm. it's just been like a real growing and maturing process over time and you know um yeah i just feel like, like dude, this is a record that we couldn't have made before you know what i mean like this is this is like a culmination of our experience and um yeah, I feel like it's just a really creative record, and I would say, you know, different for us. Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Like, that could be like a double-edged sword, really, but I feel like it's still us, but there's a lot of more variety on this album than, yeah. I, than I think than some of the others. And, um, you know, we just don't want it to be like a constant barrage because that just becomes like static, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. It gets boring so fast. It's like the band just kicks your ass like at 300 BPMs and just never stops, you know what I mean? So really with, with getting older, it was learning about how to make some dynamic shifts and like how to stop the song and rebuild it back up and have some tension and, you know, just like really typical songwriting devices that are employed in all kinds of music, you know what I mean? But like they can be employed in metal too. You know, and uh, but like, like I said, it's 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 always exciting for me when it comes time to write to see where the guys' heads are at, because I feel like there's a tremendous growth in that short of time. You know, we just have that uh, crazy trajectory of, but I, you know, we have. I it was like a, a conscious effort to keep uh, material coming so rapidly. Yeah. In 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 a world where. I think music is becoming more disposable to people, especially in the streaming era, you know, because you have just unlimited music at your fingertips, you yeah. know what I mean? So, you know, with a, with a new album comes new artwork and new merch and new excitement for tours, and, you know, it's just helped us kind of stay omnipresent, you know, just kind of like stay in people's minds because we just never go away, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's kind of uh, kind of what I was going to ask in in terms of your longevity is that that because you are constantly putting out material and you're constantly touring sort of thing. Do you think that that has aided your longevity in the fact that, as you, in your words, you're not going away, so to say? Uh, yeah, I think it's helped. You know, I think that um, it's helped people stay excited along with us. You know what I mean? Um, and. Uh, yeah, you know, uh, and another way we're we're looking to Cannibal Corpse, you know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're always cranking out records, but they're they're good, you know, you're making good records that the fans like, the fans know that they're not gonna jump the shark and like start like doing something wimpy or you know take a left turn or something, you know, like kind of old faithful status. You know? Yeah. And then obviously. To, to sort of start to round things up, obviously you've got the new record coming out, tours as well. But is there anything else in 2020 that you're you've got lined up that you you can talk about that you're excited for? Uh, well, we have uh, the Big Testament tour across the states. Yeah. Uh, um, with the Testament Municipal Waste, so that'll be the biggest thing we've ever done, pretty much. So very very excited about that, and that you know it just seems like with each record. Uh, success like affords us to, to like t have better opportunities you know what I mean so it's just a uh, it's an exciting time right now we're just gonna we're gearing up and just trying to plan out where we're gonna be when but I mean I know I'm gonna be on tour for the next two or three years straight pretty much. <laughs> yeah. so like that's just that's just like how it is in the band you know yeah. there's no there's no saying no and you, you you can't say no if you're yeah. in the band. That's kind of the people we bring in, and they know that. It's just like, if there's time to, to do something and the, the opportunity's there, we're going to do it. You yeah. Know? 
and obviously I know like with album cycles and stuff like when you're kind of out on the, these tours that you are playing the newer material and, and things like that but obviously you've got this vast back catalogue now so when you're kind of constructing like your tour sets and stuff like is it quite difficult to kind of pick and choose of like oh we're going to do this one from Miasma we're going to do this one from Nightbringer we're going to do this one from Unhollowed and how, how do you kind of come up with the structure of what the set's going to be like um it's really you know we i feel like we know what songs they like and sometimes it's just like those were the singles that we put out right maybe they got a little more traction or like something with a video will will resonate a little bit more with kids but um you know we we we, we uh we let everyone vote on a set list and like we, we would play any songs they wanted to. We had totally opened up the floor for playing different shit. Yeah. And they voted, they voted the exact songs that we always play. <laughs> well, there you go. You're doing something right then, aren't you? Yeah, we must be doing something right here. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, so, yeah, I, I thought that was really going to, you know, I thought we were going we to have to dust off some crazy old songs or, you know what I mean? Like, I, I was ready for, like, a big surprise with the turnout of that, but... Yeah, it was pretty much they wanted the set list that we've been doing, you know what I mean? So Yeah. I, I don't ever want to be a band that abandons our past, you know what I mean? Because I know that there's people that like... Each, it seems like each fan has a different favorite record, you yeah. know what I mean? So we want to touch on everything that we've done. We want to... You know, I still like the old stuff. I like playing the old stuff. And... Um, but, you know, we also don't want to rest on those laurels either, you know, because like, we're always forward you know there's so much forward propulsion we're always making music and thinking ahead and just trying to be better as a band so i feel like in terms of our growth as a band and our evolution as a band i feel like we still have a long way to go yeah you know i feel i feel like there's we're still in our youth as far as that goes because i see the i see this band having a lot more good years in it you know so and um you know, like, uh, the fire is still there. The fire is still there to be a better band, to be better live, and to make better music. And, you know, we've just been so fortunate that we just, I don't know, Brian and I have just been trying to honor this amazing opportunity that we've been given. Yeah. You know? And so we just take it to the hilt. You know, like, like <laughs> yeah. I said, there's no saying no. Like, when you're in the band, like, it is your life. It is your priority. And, um... You know, it's a it's a labor of love, definitely. It, it's it's there's a lot of hardship that comes with touring, and um, like I said, it's definitely not a glamorous life, you know. But um, it's been amazing I, I'm to, to kind of like just do things on our own terms and uh, have so much success, and it just feels like it's like slowly getting bigger and bigger. And I mean, what more could you want? You know, this is uh, all I wanted to do was make one album. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, all I wanted to do was make one record so I could show people, like, look, I made an album that's on a record label and stuff. You know? Like, yeah. So my dream, like, hasn't ended. You know, it's just uh, just getting bigger and better. And and um, so I just feel this tremendous responsibility to it, you know, to, to uh, see it through and stay the course. And, um, yeah, it's been really exciting, to say the very least. Um, Trevor, how I like to, to round these off is to, to ask my guest um, what their favourite song is, but with a bit of a twist. So, 
What's your favourite Black Dahlia murder song that you like to play live and why? Um, it'll have to be uh, I Will Return, for the last song from Deflerate. Yeah. And uh, I just really like that song. I think it's uh, one of the best songs that Ryan uh, panned while he was in the band. It has a really strong intro that just uh, sets the crowd up for mayhem. You know, once the mayhem <laughs> yeah. um, people are flying and... Yeah, I just think it's like, uh, I don't know, I just think it's a really catchy, really good song, and it just has that end time vibe, like, this is the end of the set, definitely, you know? Yeah, yeah. Perfect, brilliant. Trevor, thank you very much for your time, and really looking forward to, to for the album to be out in the world, people to hear it, and I think it's going to be another cracking year for you guys. Awesome, man. Well, thank you. I appreciate the kind words, and thanks for having me today. No worries. Take care, my fam. Right on, dude. Cheers. Bye. So there we have it, folks. Again, a massive thank you to Trevor for having... Uh, a little conversation with me and taking some time out of his day um as mentioned obviously black darling murder have a new record coming out so uh, we will put links to all the pre-orders and so on and so forth in the description of this episode uh, along with all the band's social media um regarding tours festivals and stuff that they've got coming up in the near future um yeah that's pretty much it for another week as i said uh gonna have another episode in the can which will hopefully be uploaded for you next week and then there'll be a brief gap whilst i'm out on the road with ithaca um but hoping to sort of sort something out for when i come back if once again all goes to plan um as always if this is your first time uh joining us on the justin inside podcast or if it's your 145th time if you could please leave a review share this with all your friends subscribe to the show on whatever podcast platform you listen to it really really does help the show um and as i've mentioned previously we're looking to sort of push it as much as i possibly can this year because i've become self-employed this year and just trying to as i said make ends meet and live the punk punk dream as for as long as i possibly can um but yeah as always thank you again for stopping by the justin insight podcast and i'll see you soon